Calendar. And I'm Will Aaron Freund. And welcome back to episode two of Through the Mic, where we give artists of all genres a platform to showcase their work, talk about the things that they're passionate about, and have conversations on life, love, etc. Yes, sir. And today we have a super dope episode for you. <laughs> yes, yes. We have photographer, arts educator, and Bronx native Roy Baizan in the studio tonight. Hola, mucho gusto. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> so Baizan's work has been featured in the New York Times, The Fader, HBO Latino, and The Gothamist, among a lot of other publications. And you can currently check out his work at Brooklyn Bridge Park as a part of Photoville's Emerging Artist Showcase. That's actually how we found him. Right. I was I was with my friend walking through Brooklyn Bridge Park, and his work spoke to me yeah. and. We DM'd him M- on his... Much like all the guests on our yeah, show. It's yeah, It's really... Yeah. That's why I love Super serendipitous. our process of it. Yeah. Because it's literally just walking down the street. You can you can do stuff like that in New York. Yeah. But who, yeah. who do we fuck with? How do we hit them up? Yeah, yeah. But tonight, <laughs> we're, here, tonight we're here for you, Roy. So, yeah. um, thank you for being on the show. Thank you guys uh, we're for so me. yes, it's a real pleasure. Yeah, I mean your energy just on on Instagram has been has been amazing. So I, I gotta I appreciate yeah, it. Thank you for for all the of love. Of course, uh, man. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> so, New York City has a, a great way of like lining things up, uh, and to say that is, I guess, to say like the universe has a great way of lining things up. So um, yeah, really, man. Really glad to be here. Yeah, man. So um, of all the things to talk about, and we will get through in the next hour. Let's just start with. Your background and the things that have led you to this point. So why don't we start with the best bro in the world, <laughs> the Bronx, the BX. Yeah, the, I love the fucking Bronx. Uh, <laughs> so I'm originally from from Sunset Park in Brooklyn. Uh, mm-hmm. I was born and raised uh, there up until like I was six. Uh, and then I moved for family problems. We ended up like li- li- living in a shelter over in Bedford Park in the Bronx. And that's how I came to the Bronx. Uh, mm-hmm. We kind of ran away from a wow. pretty volatile situation. Um and growing up, it was pretty normal, like nothing that uh, was out of the ordinary. I went to elementary school like anyone else did, mm-hmm. uh, moved from one place to another. We finally kind of settled down into like a regular home. And uh, on the block that I that I grew up on, on East 205th Street, there was a guy whose name was Rick, and he was like a local politician. And uh, I say all this to say that he used to throw some amazing, amazing block parties, and he would bring everyone from the community. He would go from one supermarket to a bodega to like a salon to all these different places to gather donations and gather supplies for a yearly block party. And this left the biggest impression on me because I began to understand the importance of community through him and through the work that he was doing. Mm-hmm. He was a horrible politician. He his, he was not great. But what he did do was he took direct action in his community. And from that point on, that kind of just stayed ingrained in my mind. Um so on and so forth. I went to middle school up in up in Riverdale because it was a brand new school, and we started like literally in a basement. Um, and so I spent some time up there, and then I went up to uh, 167th Street to the Roberto Clemente campus for high school. And so I was going from one place in the Bronx to another place in the Bronx, and everywhere in between. In between, I was skating, and I was like just going up and down the Grand Concourse. So, like all these different experiences of going up and down the Bronx just remained with me, um, and that all kind of peaked. When I was a senior in high school, uh, I had a friend whose name was Raymond Jimenez, and he pulled out a film camera from his locker one day, and uh, that seemed to like just intrigue me. Like I could not get my eyes off of this this camera, so I started asking him questions like, "What is that? Like, what does this lens do?" Like just being really, really annoying. But he had he was very patient. He he told me like exactly what everything does, what a shutter speed is, what an aperture was, and mm-hmm. he lent me his camera just to kind of toy around with. And he eventually put me in contact with the program that he went to. Uh, he went to a program called ICP at the Point. Mm-hmm. And uh, ICP at the Point is this wonderful collaboration between the International Center of Photography and this community. Which is what ICP stands for. Yeah, what ICP yeah. stands for. 
And the point, a community centered hunt point that merges arts and activism together. They're like at the intersection of, and they've been doing this for like 20 something years, I think going on to their 21st year this year. Um, and so I immediately signed up for the program. I was like 18 at this point and technically aged out, but, uh, very gratefully, uh, Tiffany Williams, one of the co-coordinators of the program, like we ran into each other, like just as we were talking right before the show, like very serendipitously, we were, I was at this park in Hunts Point celebrating like a little birthday party for someone and they happened to be throwing an art show right next to it because the point has two campuses, one on 940 Garrison Avenue and then one over by Riverside Park. And we were at Riverside Park. And uh, they were having an exhibit. We were at the party. I had my film camera. Boom, everything happened. She saw me with the film camera and she asked me if I was a photographer. I told her no. But I was interested and I know <laughs> about the program. So I was wondering if I could sign up. And she said, yeah, you know what? Give me the application. You have like X amount of time to do it. Hand it in before then and we can sneak you in. And they did. And how long had you God been shooting good. before then? Like from from when I graduated high school, which was June. And that was like, what? I don't know. April, May. Yeah, yeah. Uh, only, only some amount of months. Yeah, like very, very yeah. uh, like green to this. Uh, like my idea of photography was still like, like taking photos of flowers and like right. my brothers and my you know sunsets and stuff like that, which was really joyful. Like there was like no pressure whatsoever. Like I could just go and interact with the world around me in a way that I had never been able to before. I mean, skating is one way to, of, of interacting yeah. with, the world, with the world around you. Playing music is another way. But photography was like the most engaging way for me to like talk to different people to go to different places this is what like encouraged me to just get out of my house i mean being first generation mexican-american like you have like all this pressure to go out and go to school and succeed and not to say that that wasn't what i was focusing on but this gave me the liberty to maybe begin to rethink what success or like what a career could even begin to look like right because this was consuming my life i could mm-hmm. like i could not take the camera like, mm. that meaning like I was, I was stuck with the camera at all times and i think subconsciously you were doing that idea of going out and accomplishing something, but it was with something that you were passionate about and something that you were interested in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I think a lot of what I heard from, from like different mentors, like, uh, in, in school were like following your passions in a very corny way. And I never really believed uh-huh. in it. I was like, well, how practical is that? You know, but then this came like this came along and I was like, well, you know what? Actually, there, there may be something to that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and the point for me granted that opportunity. Um, like I took their class, it was 10 weeks. And at this point, I was going to college. Um, like, as I was coming over here, I passed by the Berkeley College signs. Yeah. And that's where I used to go. Like, I immediately went to Berkeley College for, like, IT and business administration. Because that was, like, an idea of what a stable career could look like. So I went there, took out some crazy loans, doing something that I absolutely hated. Uh, and so when I was going to college, I started taking this program. And I literally started just skipping school to go and be in a dark room and develop film mm. and go make photographs. And it was just like this, this mechanical thing, this, this thing that allowed me to literally like say like, this is my vision. This is me. This is what I see. And it empowered me to go make images. But it wasn't that just that. Like around week four, week five, every semester, there's a guest artist that comes through. And, uh, this semester, uh, the guest artist happened to be an alumni from ICP at the point. That's the beautiful, beautiful thing about the community is that, uh, everyone who graduates from the program always kind of comes back and gives mm-hmm. back and in the t- in the teaching assistant kind of a form or as a guest artist kind of a form or, you know, in whatever capacity you're able to. It just happens to be that Danny is not only just a very amazing multimedia artist at this point and photographer and educator, he also has since become like the executive director of The Point, coming in as a, <laughs> as a student at some point now like running the show. He came through and he presented this body of work around this uh, graffiti writer from the Bronx whose name was Cheese. Um, and Cheese, his name is Damien. He was from the Bronx. He was from Hunts Point. Uh, and he had this amazing, amazing smile, hence the name Cheese. <laughs> uh, and his tag was a, like a heart. He was like very, very wholesome dude. Um, and he unfortunately was murdered back in 2012. I think there was like an altercation at, the, at a club or something and, uh, things went south and, and he, he was, he was murdered. And as, as most times, uh, as as it happens most often, the Bronx just kind of labeled this. I mean, is, it was labeled as like another violent area, and the news just kind of covered it as like another murder in the Bronx. Nothing much to it, just besides like a messy altercation. And Danny Peralta came through that day to show us this project called Love Lives, uh, which is based on Cheese and the aftermath of his murder. Uh, he showed us what his family was going through. He showed us like the mural that the community made for him. He showed us how people got his face and his, his tag tatted on him. He showed us like the real impact that this graffiti writer had. 
And for me, photography then didn't just become a tool to make really nice images. It became a tool to shed light on, on, on things, to tell a truth that maybe all too often goes misrepresented, misunderstood, or just not documented at all. Um, and it all kind of clicked for me at that point, like growing up, seeing the block parties, growing up, like handing out flyers from like the local office and like, you know, doing community service at all lined up. I realized that the Bronx was again being misrepresented and until this day is being misrepresented. Um, and this, this camera now gave me the power to go out into the community that I knew was much more than just violent or poor or, you know, whatever, and highlight the thing that I knew best, which was community, which was my friends, which was my family, which was the artists around us. And, um, yeah, it, it, it all went from there. Mm. And I, Will and I can both agree on the fact it's so clear in your work, the fact that you are example of a photographer who brings the narrative in the community. Like, you know what I mean? Because there are so many artists who love to tell stories and do a good job at telling the story of a community, but they're not, they might not be from there or they don't know the people there. Mm-hmm. But with you and your, and your moments that you capture with your camera, it, it's, a, it's a warm feeling to know that you're, you were there and, and you're a part of it. You're not just trying to promote it or show it off. Right. Um, I mean, that was like one of the first things that I think we talked about that guest artist visit was how there's like this idea of parachute photographers that will come into communities, not spending any time with the community whatsoever or really having an idea of what the community is about, but having their own misconceptions of that community and just going there to prove that point. Right. Like and I've seen photographers go to Africa and shoot starving exactly. children and then come back and exactly. live in their brownstone. and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to go too far, there was like, um, there was a photographer, barely a photographer. He was like first working in Wall Street, like working in, in the business world and right. like retired. His name is Chris Arnaud. And then he went to hunt, like after all, like he did all his business stuff and he had a very, you know, he had a good fortune. He, he owns property. He's whoever, he's very well off. He mm-hmm. went to Hunt's Point and started creating this project called Faces of Addiction where he was photographing uh, drug addicts and prostitutes and sex workers over there um, and paying them off to to have, to have make portraits of them. And it was very exploitative, incredibly disgusting work because here we go again, someone who's not from the community trying to create edgy work that was, that is like meant to like move people and like be like, this is, this is real documentary. This is real. Like it's, it's like so full of shit. And when that project came out, the uproar from like Bronx photographers, from Bronx artists was real. Like everyone's like, who the fuck is this asshole coming through, like trying to make these images? And once again, I think everyone kind of went even harder for the Bronx and started creating even more work. I mean, everyone already goes hard for the Bronx. As you may know, like the Bronx Mm -hmm. was burning at some point. There was like so many different things that were happening and the Bronx built itself back up from the ground up the community stood up fought for itself made community gardens made community centers social services that like distributed free food and other benefits the community Mm. and the bronx has stood up for itself always Mm. and i think everyone who comes from the bronx has that pride they rep it hard body and i think when someone be strong baby be be strong uh whenever somebody comes through trying to like make these stories or they better come right they better be coming with with like an open mind, they're really coming with with time because mm. that's what you have to do. You have to spend time, spend time with yeah. the community, getting to know people, getting to know them, getting to know their family. Not just going in there like ready to fire off images and try to make a graphic image for the sake of like what likes, for the sake of what portfolio piece. Yeah. No, these are people's lives. These are people's like people don't get to step out of the like out of, out of these out of these homes. People don't get to step out of these communities. People go through this every single day. So if you're going to come through to the Bronx, you better do it right. Yeah. And I think there's a mentality. I was talking to Will and our friend the other day about that whole concept of the Bronx is burning and the time in history where that was an issue. And I think there's this thing of, so if, if you consider the people living there at that time as like rock bottom, it's a whole lot easier and the relationship is a lot stronger in the sense of building it back up. So since the 70s, since all the way back then, 
we have a tighter bond more than a lot of other places in the world because we understand what it's like to be dead, just rock bottom, flat on the ground. So when you look at it today in 2020 and everything that's happening in the world with social inequality, environmental inequality, just in the chaos that's happening in D.C., when we when I when I go back home tonight, I know that is no stronger family than my neighbors and the bus drivers and the garbage workers because we understand what it's like to be have our backs up against the walls. And like what you said, there's different communities like the Bronx is growing, the Bronx is reading. Those are actual play and I always give social media a lot of flack for yeah. being like this toxic tool that people use to promote their images but the bronx has used that in the way mm-hmm. to heal and and to plan for the future exactly um i mean uh, are you guys familiar with the page everyday bronx yes yeah so i'm not oh yeah well everyday bronx is this phenomenal instagram page i think there's like several everyday pages like everyday like uh, brazil or mexico mm-hmm. or africa or latin america there's like tons of them uh, and Everyday Bronx is just one of many of those, of those Instagram pages. But I love what happens with Everyday Bronx because it allows everyone uh, equal say as to like how they see the Bronx. And so anyone from the Bronx uh, or I guess who's visited the Bronx to that extent can can photograph, can make an image in the Bronx and post it on, on their Instagram and just use the hashtag Everyday Bronx. And I think there's a set of curators, um, all Bronxites, all amazing photographers and uh, educators in their own rights. Um who go through these images and they post them and what they're all trying to do is exactly that they're trying to heal they're trying to like show like a real like thorough dynamic image of what the bronx is and so like when we're talking about like all that i think everyday bronx is a really successful like example of like what happens like when you when you open up the platform and you give everyone a chance to to have their say um we were we were were speaking before the episode of so i'm from riverdale and now i live in fordham heights and roy you yourself have been to a lot of places in the Bronx, but no matter where you are, you still feel connected to the rest of the borough in some way. And it's stuff like this where the Bronx can have that effect. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, like I said, like I, I used to live up in Bedford and like going up in the Grand Conquers, like anywhere you go along the Grand Conquers for that matter, yeah. Jerome or Webster, like yep. those three kind of like, uh, like main arteries of the Bronx, like it all has that flavor. There's no way you can get around it. I mean, to some extent, like when you go up in Riverdale, like Riverdale, or I saw what I, what I saw in Riverdale when I was up there, is that the community, like over there, they like to be like we're not from the Bronx in a really weird classes kind of a way. Mm-hmm. And I've always like never really understood that because like what is the difference between like Kingsbridge and, and Riverdale? You're right there, but like that's that's like a whole other thing, right? When it comes to like all this uptown love, I love that like whether you're up in the Bronx or shout out to Washington Heights, all of uptown Manhattan, yeah, for that matter, red, all those everyone still has this really strong communal tie where everyone's you know holding each other down in one way or another. As you said, like um, like everyone, everyone's family in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh my god, for sure, for sure. When I was um, so uh, I guess kind of moving into, like or moving towards like my Haven. When I was living on in my Haven for this last year. I was living on 136, uh, right next to the Willis Avenue Bridge. And I, that took me back to what it felt like seeing those block parties growing up. Um, not to say that every day was a block party, but every day it was, was pretty lit. It felt like a block party. Every day was pretty lit, for sure. Um, but what I say, what I say by all that is that I got to meet everyone on that block. I got to meet Ralphie. I got to meet, uh, Joey from across the street. I got to meet, like, you know, just tons of folks out there that showed mad love. Like every morning, whenever I would leave, like, you know, like I would get off my stoop, I'd hear, yo fam, from like Joey across the street. And eventually, like, I think he, he went to rehab and I think he's still there. Shouts to him. I know he's getting his stuff together. Mm. But like, I gotta, we all get accustomed to like seeing each other. Like everyone like treats each other so well. Like if anyone ever needed anything, we would exchange, like we would like pull up with like food. Or they would pull up just to, like, hold it down. Like, they would throw barbecues in front of our homes, and we would all, like, throw it down together. Like, there was, like, mm. no way t- for us to not be a part of, like, uh, of each other's energy. Like, there was no—you couldn't leave the house without saying hi to somebody. Whenever my partner and I would go for, like, a walk, we would stop at every single block talking to someone. Like, yeah. <laughs> we, could, we would go for, like, a quick 30-minute walk, come back two hours later. Because we literally, like, saw, like, 10 different people along the way, and we had, like, conversations with all of them. And— 
And that's that's what like I think I'm gonna miss the most about being on 136. And like that was the energy that I had like when I was on my haven like photographing on the streets. I stopped I stopped and talked to like whoever would like would give me like the like the time of day. Yeah. And I would spend like mad time with them, getting to know yeah. them and getting to like where they're from, getting to know their story. And that that energy just does not is like is relentless. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you ever feel like at times? The people in your communities know what you do, but not quite understand it. Um, no, I think I think everyone like in the community like understands like the power of, of photography. Everyone has like mm. Instagram, and they like they know what an image can do. Right. They know how like like how much of an opportunity it is as as a platform for you to say something, for you to sell your thing, for you to like be out there, but also how like violent it can be. Right. I think everyone like has a strong idea, and like whenever like I talk to people about the kind of work that I do, like sometimes they're like, "Oh, you just make really nice images," but I'm like, "Well, does that make you like, oh, like, well, not entirely?" Because I'm like, "Well, yeah, like, uh, I think my my goal as a photographer is to try to like highlight the best in people, uh, mm. especially when when you see so much negative imagery. It's like the goal is to, for me, highlight everyone to like celebrate everyone. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite photographers, Jamel Shabazz. Um, he he used to say, or like I think in like a, in a panel discussion, he said like whenever he stops somebody, he tell him like, "Yo, brother, I see magic in you. I see this in you, and I, let me. I want to celebrate you. I want to photograph you, and like and like have this image to to commemorate you, right?" And then like he send them the image back so that way they see what what, what he wow. saw, and that stuck with me because that's all I really want to do. Yeah. Like I want to photograph from a place of joy, uh, and joy is an act of resistance. So for me, like. Whether it's a nice image, like or or like just like an image that's a little bit more informative, like it always comes from that place. And I think when people see that, they're like, "Wow, it's a nice image." But then that also gives me an opportunity for me to tell them, "Well, this is why," or like, "This is what I'm doing." And then they kind of like they're like, "All right, we see what's happening." And then mm-hmm. usually they're like, "All right, like I wish you the best." And that always is like a blessing from the community, and that means the world to me. Yeah, the Bronx is love. The Bronx is really love. I ask these questions because. When I tell people in my neighborhood that I'm an actor and I love telling story, I love listening and then channeling their stories and emotions through me and then back to other communities, they don't understand it. They don't understand. They always consider it as dressing up or playing make-believe. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I ask your question, the questions is because they don't understand it, but they try to accept it. So whenever I go get breakfast, I have two deli owners. Shout outs to Papo and shout outs to Ramik, who's, who yell out, Broadway! Ayo, Broadway! <laughs> what, what, what's, the next, what's the next script coming? What's the next movie? And, it's, and you know, I love it. I know they don't understand acting the way I do, but I know, you know, they're always there for me. Yeah. They're always going to celebrate whatever you do. Even <laughs> exactly. if it's like in a, if they're like trying to like meet you there, they're like, they're still going to like give you that, that, that big ups. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yo, not for nothing, but I think like one of the, the my favorite moments um like this last year has been when I got to photograph my bodega man, not Shorty or or um or Ralphie, but Ahmed on the corner of one thirty eighth and Willis. Um and I got to make a photograph of him and he's like, Yo, when you develop that, like send it to me. I wanna post it on Facebook and then he posted it on Facebook and I'm like yeah, like, I, like now your family gets to see what, what's up, and mm-hmm. he's he was mad happy. He was throwing up a thumbs up, and he was like cheesing yeah. from year to year. And this is a dude that I saw like during quarantine, like like when whenever like when things were really bad, I would I would just go over to the bodega just because he was mm-hmm. there. He was he was there the whole time. Yeah, I'm like Bod- bodegas didn't close during quarantine. <laughs> nah, there's like a bodega closed during quarantine on the corner of 136 and Willis. Uh, <laughs> shout out Shorty. Uh, that's like literally 25A, and they stay they stay true to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> 25A. There's, there's yo, 25A. Yeah. Mal- Malcolm, tell oh. the story of the conversation you had with. No, with yeah, your yeah. I, I was gonna tell this then. Then I was gonna move on to something <laughs> else. But so exactly like you said, I so I wake up and I'm watching the news. It's probably the beginning of 2020. The city is saying how it's going to shut down. And as New Yorkers, we're like, it doesn't matter where you're from, New York. But as New Yorkers, you're like, shut down? Mm-hmm. That, what? That nah, makes no sense. That don't add up. But no, but as weeks goes on, but as weeks goes on, you're like, wait, no, this is actually happening. Businesses are just going to stop and we're just going to have to learn how to negotiate without them. Yeah. But one day, I get up. Walk outside, go to my. I have two, three favorite delis in mind, but I go to the farthest one on the corner of 183rd and Webster. 
And I go to my man. And I'm like, hey, bro, are you shutting down? I heard on the news like they wanted to shut down these main businesses. And with a straight face, so calm, he just looks at me and says, what? For what? <laughs> and I was like, yep, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> and, you know, they could have gotten in any trouble. I don't know if they did or didn't. But right. it's that mentality of like, for what? Bronx Strong. Yeah, like that like, foundation is just so concrete. There was like a bit of like a half step, like stutter, like like you know, like whatever. And then they're like, "All right, now we back. We still here. Now nah, we back. We're just gonna put like a little plastic up, and now we're all set. They're right. not gonna stop it. They're <laughs> not gonna put some sheet barber shops. Just put some sheet on it. Yeah. I, I, but that reminds me. Um, how did 2020 affect the way you view photography? Um, I mean, like the beginning of 2020 was like was pretty interesting. Um. Like, I think this whole year has been, like, incredibly transformative. Like, I'm not the person that I was, For like, sure. last year. For and, sure. like, I mean that in, like, a lot of capacities. I think I've been like, a lot more self-aware with, with like, my energy, with, like, my, huh. uh, I guess, my, the way that I communicate uh, and the way that I'm communicating with images. Uh, when I started in 2020, I wasn't really photographing all that much. Uh, like, I've been photographing here and there. Um, mm-hmm. And when the pandemic hit, uh, I think I was photographing even less. Um, like, I was, like, mm. super, super bummed out. But, uh, one thing that, like, kind of got me back into it was, uh, was photographing with my phone again. Like, mm. um, there's this application called, uh, I don't know, it's, like, I'm not sponsored by anyone, but, like, they're called Daz. Uh, and it's, like, a fake Polaroid. And, mm. like, I started, like, creating images of everything. Like, I was photographing, like, no joke. I photographed the thumbtack, like, five different ways. Like, I was just so intrinsically, like, like, bored but also like determined to like not let things get in the way like not let Mm. this kind of like just suck the energy out of me so it's like photographing like everything and like trying to like come at the simple things around me with like all of my energy because i realized like yo things are mad fragile if we can like shut down this whole city and we could like be in this position right now like what does that say about everything else like how how am i then moving with intention how am i then like, what am I creating images for? And then how am I creating images or, like, approaching my environment around me? What am I doing? Like, how is my environment around me, like, intentional? And then I started looking at, like, how my room is set up. I started, like, like mm. analyzing the fuck out of everything. And then I started photographing it all and keeping, like, a journal and trying to, like, be more intentional about, like, with what I'm saying or how I'm saying. And, like, in doing that, I became, like, hyper, like, like technical and uh one thing that my partner has has been like uh that i'm very very grateful for is that she's been like both like like letting me know that that's a good thing but also like reminding me to to give myself the space to be creative and to and reminding me that i'm not just a photographer but i'm actually more of an artist Mm -hmm. um she's the wonderful i mean she's a wonderful incredible painter like uh now like photographer although she will never admit that she's a photographer but she mm-hmm. makes some amazing images shout out henny pigeon um that's one of her images uh and she just does so much and she's been showing me like what the possibilities are if you like maybe take that those technicalities but also give yourself the space to to explore with everything else so as, as i've been like making images uh like these last couple months now i've been making a lot more portraits. Uh, I've been trying to get a little bit closer. I mean, even closer than I was before. Like now I'm trying to be like trying to spend more time with people, trying to like get even closer in proximity, even though it's not a great idea because of a pandemic. I mean, I just have to keep yeah. my mask on, but yeah. just trying to be more intentional, be more open and warm to, to, to different experiences. Um, and as it pertains to like, just like photographing like daily things, I've been just experimenting with like everything. Like I don't just make single frames. I shoot sequences now as, a, as if someone would shoot like a movie. Like I would mm-hmm. shoot, like I'll shoot a scenario all the way through and scan it as like one big yeah. sequence. And that's how I'm going to present it. Or if I'm going to photograph, I'm going to play like Russian roulette with my film. I'm going to shoot three frames, <laughs> open up the back, close it and see what comes out. Like nothing, like everything has a technicality and I'll shoot with that in mind, but nothing is sacred in the sense that like, I, like as in it's going to stay perfectly classical now everything is up for for challenge and i think that's been incredibly liberating because now i get to like begin to try to tell stories in a very different way yeah dude the the forms are changing i mean i i think they kind of have to with the way our world is going right now um i wanted to ask you about film and uh shooting on film versus digital Mm -hmm. uh how do you navigate that space um i mean i think 
I think they're both just just tools that you that you use for different purposes. I mean, whenever I, I shoot on assignment, uh, I'll typically like photograph digitally because it gives me like endless, um, almost endless amounts of of images. Right. Um, but for me, uh, I think where with my heart and and soul lies is with film, and that's where I, that's where I started. That's where like yeah. I feel you, man. Yeah, like that. That's where I'm at to this day. It, it's a mechanical process that allows me to develop to to print by hand. Uh, that I can collage with, I can cut the negatives, I can burn the negatives, I can do so much more with it. And I think that for me is, is way more liberating than, than, than digital. I mean, there's an immediate access to the images that, uh, that I think for me distracts me. I mean, we're like staring at screens all, I mean, now more than ever. Um, you can't get away from them and to just like snap a photo and like look at the back and snap at the photo and look at the back just kind of kills it for me. Like, what, where's, mm. where's the process in that? Like, I don't, like I feel like I trust myself less uh, with a digital camera, where with a film camera, I think I have to rely on my understanding of light, my understanding of composition, like my understanding of how this like camera works, and um, that's like, even more empowering than like just like setting it like on on an automatic feature and, and like shooting with it. Although to not to say that that's a bad thing, but you know, like I said, they're all different tools for different purposes, and this is just like how I think it works for me. Mm. And and you mentioned uh, you learned how to develop yourself with a darkroom. Um, did your process change at all when you kind of got behind this, the scenes and and learned how to develop the images after you got them out of the camera? Um, I mean, I guess to some extent, uh, like I started, like I started like developing at home more. Uh, I started like messing around with different developers. I started. Um, like just trying out different agitations. And then when it came to like cutting and scanning, I think, uh, that's where like, like a lot of like my, like my process comes, comes into play. Like where I'll be collaging with the negatives or, or doing other oh, things. Okay. But like the development process is like, like fundamental. Like if I fuck it up, I fuck it up. So like, like I'll, I'll take minor <laughs> risk. I'll take risk with that, but like I'll, I'll have enough risk where I can still have images and, you know, at least keep something. <laughs> But that's yeah. the fun of film, right? Because yeah. you you take out your camera, you shoot your thirty six or twenty four or whatever, and you're like, "Fuck, I I, I don't know mm-hmm. what's gonna, I don't know what I'm gonna get back here. Yeah. I I might get a blanks." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we know this through acting. Well, I'm always fixated on the idea of the journey, and mm-hmm. we've had teachers and coaches talk to us about it's the journey rather than the product, and so I'm not as uh, invested as photography as you two, but it sounds like between film and digital, the idea of the journey is challenged when we start to make the shift to digital. The fact that you can just take a photo, look at the screen, take a photo, look at the screen, you lose that, the journey and, and the work of <laughs> really yeah. putting your work together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I don't know if this means much, but uh, I'm a Libra. And oh, guess, my guess, man. What's your birthday? September 23rd. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, so I'm like uh, on, on the cusp. And yeah. I guess all that means is that I'm dramatic as hell. Um, <laughs> I was the 8th. I was uh, October 8th. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Happy Libra. belated. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, <laughs> Appreciate so it. So the journey is, is I think, exactly what, what it is uh, is for me, too. I think the rush of, like, of starting off with, like, a blank, blank role, like, running through it, burning through it, uh, like exposing images, doing all kinds of crazy things to kind of come to an end and, and see it hanging up on like, like a little like thin string as it's mm. drying off it. Like every bit of that process, I think is very, mm. very like, uh, like, what's, what's the proper word for it? Um, it sounds meditative, but it, it sounds very calming, but like anybody's passion. Yeah. Yeah. I think meditative is, is, is a good way. It's very fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like every process, part of it, because then you see it at the end and whether it's fucked up or scratched or whatever, like, you know, that it's like 100% absolutely completely yours. And there's no amount of metadata that could ever like, like replicate that on the complete computer. That's yours. Yeah, you and, did that shit, all of it. Yeah, and that that journey all on the way makes it like that much more gratifying. But it's it's an absolute privilege to be able to say that too. You know. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. I think not everyone has like that ability to make that journey. So I think everyone finds their journey like in whatever medium they have. So yeah, I think digital like offers that in a very different way, but not, still nonetheless a journey. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about how 2020 changed the mindsets and the behaviors of so many people and in your case i'm i'm still curious and i don't think i can find an answer to the question i'm about to ask you by the end of this episode but when you think of the responsibility 
of a photographer. And yeah, like, Will, you're nodding your head because we were going back and forth about this for hours the other day. When you think as we were looking at your stuff at Brooklyn right. Bridge and the rest of the photographers there. Right. We were yeah, and so many of the of their images. We were asking ourselves, what's the responsibility of a photographer? And I think for you, I'm saying, what what do you think your responsibility is? Mm-hmm. And and I'll I'll say this before I shut up. Because Will and I were going back and forth and we were saying when a photographer captures an image, are they a capturing the image they see and hope that the other people see it? Or are they capturing image they see and opening it up for interpretation for other people like to look at? Like, feel what you feel here. Yeah, feel what you feel or, like, what do you choose to see? And I think with 2020, when you think of images of George Floyd with the officer's neck, an officer's knee on his neck, that image resonates with Americans all over the country. Right. So as a photographer, we want to know, what do you think, what do you want your responsibility to be when you think of the Bronx, when you think of the pandemic, when you think of what? Yeah, you know, that's that's, that's a pretty... It's, it's, a, it's a pretty good question because I've been like <laughs> I was going back and forth on this like all throughout the beginning of the pandemic. Right, right, yeah, and you and you said like there was a moment where you didn't do anything. Yeah, like because could, how could you? Like I couldn't photograph. Like it was just so immensely like like there was like so much pressure to try to create an image that was like beginning to talk about like everything around me. Uh, and like in between I got sick and like that kind of pushed me to like a whole different like, uh, like point of, um, with COVID, uh, I, I got like a fever. I couldn't breathe. I also have like bad asthma. So I was like, who knows? I was just like in bed, like, and I couldn't move. Like it was bad, but like that brought me to a whole different point of contemplation where it's like, what responsibility do I have? As you said, like to create that image and like, can I do that? Am I the voice to do that? Is this my full story to tell? And for the longest, I felt like, you know, that's not my story to tell. Like, how can I go out there and create an image that is resonant with everyone if I'm, if it's, if it's just my perception of it? Mm. You know, like there's other people that are out there doing the work mm. way more than I am. Mm. You know, then I got to find my pay, my place in all this. Like, how can I support others? How can I uplift others? And that's why I was like, at some point, not, not making that image, not making any images at all. Like I, fa- I found my place in, in another way, which was, like creating a community garden. Like I think there was like a, like one of the things that, that, that was like debated a lot when I was going to, to school. I mean, I ended up going to back to ICP for their one year program in documentary practice and visual journalism. And one of my, one of my teachers, uh, Joseph Rodriguez, shout out Joseph Rodriguez, uh, an icon. I love him. He would often kind of pitch this question to me and he's like, are you an activist or are you a photographer? Mm. He's like, which one are you? Wow. And I'm like, yeah, what'd you say? Because it was like I'm like I I feel the need to get very involved. Um, like sometimes it's hard to, to to imagine making images when things are going down. It's hard to imagine like violence in front of me and to photograph it and not want to get in, get involved. And I think that happened for me on June fourth in Mont Haven. Do you guys know what happened in Mont Haven on June fourth? No. Um, so there's been a series of protests here in the city called FTP. Uh, and FTP can stand for numerous things, right? Everyone naturally gravitates to fuck the police, but it's feed the people, it's for the people, free the people, so many, so on and so forth. Um, but what have you, FTP3, uh, was a massive protest against the MTA and transit for their aggressive policies and, and policing, uh, and broken windows policies towards, you know, Folks that just are low income, like incredible, incredible just amounts of like tickets that were handed out. I myself like had been pressed and arrested, like, not, like almost arrested for hopping a train uh, in my haven in on Brook on 138th. Uh, police being overly aggressive, like pinning me to the wall, like pressing me on benches. Um, Have you ever been to the hub, Third Ave, on 49th? Yeah. You cannot, like, well, I'm well, like. Oh my god! I think you have to see it for yourself. But the amount of policing that's in the hub, that area, oh, it's overwhelming. You, yeah. you can't believe yeah. it. And then when you go to somewhere like the Upper East, like Six Lex, there's nine, nothing. Nothing in sight. There's nothing. And so, um, like, I'm getting a little shaky. It's just like the, yeah. remembering about the day because, like, all those, like, all all these kind of things kind of came together on on June fourth because at the hub is where we met up for FTP four. And there was an immense crowd of protesters and organizers from 
um, from all over the place, mostly uh, from Take Back the Bronx. It's amazing grassroots um, uh, collective. I mean, just more than just a collective. They're they're an activist group. They're a radical activist group, and they're amazing. They do so much direct work in the community that is necessary. Um, they they were there, and the police pulled up, and you saw like how feral they were. They were they were out for blood, and uh, that day. The protest was going fine. It was nonviolent at, at the beginning. Like we were all chanting, we were all going up and down the streets. People from the community were going outside their windows, outside their cars, chanting with us, chanting "fuck gentrification, free the people." Uh, folks from businesses like La Morada came out to talk about the importance of our community, to talk about the violence that's happening in our communities, to talk about how ISIS patrolling our communities, how they're presenting themselves and trying to arrest and separate families in our communities. And a lot of the issues that are happening in Mott Haven across the Bronx and in Sunset Park, for that matter, were being talked about that day. And it was, at first, a beautiful, beautiful example of the community coming together. And I was there to photograph. Mm. I mean, I was there mm -hmm. uh, documenting what was going to happen. And we're going down Willis and on 136 on the block that <laughs> where I was living, our house was supposed to be a safe house. Um, and we told everyone in the protest, we walked down the 136 and we were kettled, maced, beaten and arrested. The police planned a, a, it was very strategic. They had buses lined up. They had cops on bikes with full on riot gear. They corralled us from both sides, maced us, and then beat us. Uh, and that question came came up at that moment because at that moment I felt that that didn't matter anymore. It was now our story. It was my story because all the journalists were being beat up. All the lawyers were being beat up. Nurses, they were all being arrested and beat up. We were all being beat up. And the thing that is, is holding us down right now as, as Human Watch – uh, the Human Rights Watch is opening up a, a massive case on NYPD are those photos and videos from that day mm. because all of our rights as protesters, as journalists, as human beings were violated. It was the most traumatizing day, I think, of 2020 for me mm. this so far. And and that that was unfortunately how that question was answered for me because right after it all, uh, my, my partner and I, we were – we were targeted because we were at the very front. Uh, we were at one of the edges of the protest, and they were pointing at, at, at them, and I put my body between the, the police officer and them, and they, they separated us. They beat us separately, and then they, they one of the police officers grabbed me, put well, they threw me onto a fence, slammed my head, threw me onto the gr ground, then put cuffs on me with my camera on, and they dragged me with my camera on, and I've never felt more helpless than when you can't... When the thing that I can do the best... When the thing that allows me to speak up, to speak the loudest, is taken away from me. <laughs> yeah. And so as I'm, like, being dragged uh, with my camera, I'm just, like, losing my shit. Like, the amount of rage that I felt that day was just, like, uncomparable. That when I was finally left in the middle of the hill on 136, all I could do was lean up on the side of my hip and just continuously fire my camera off with the, with the flash because they didn't... They, they somehow did not manage to, to bust my camera. They just managed to like chip it and, and all that. Like the, the, I think the, the little lens protector was shattered a little mm. bit, but it was still fine. Surprisingly, shout out to that camera. <laughs> uh, and that day, that day I was actually shooting, <laughs> they were shooting digital, right? Cause I knew, I knew that I, I had no chance to like swap out film and I was felt like firing and firing and firing like an act of defiance. And that was like the last thing I could do. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. Like, <sighs> crazy we came back after all the protesters from that day were arrested everyone was arrested and they were all sent out to different precincts some in the bronx some in brooklyn but the majority of us were sent out to kew gardens in queens um my partner and i we finally we left with our glasses broken phones broken her phone was confiscated no money like nothing everything was kind of taken from us shout out to jail support for, for pulling up and like being an amazing resources a resource uh, shout out to like all the lawyers that were there, all the nurses, everyone that pulled up, all the love that was shown afterwards. If it wasn't for the community, you know, who knows? Um, but we pulled up the next morning. We went down the block because again, we lived on 136. And at first it was like, yo, the revolution's coming down our block. And then we're like, whoa, the cops are coming down our block, hella militarized. And then we're like, whoa, we just got beaten and arrested on our block. <laughs> like it was like, like that. We went back the morning of, we were photo and I photographed 
all of the items that were left and were confiscated by the police because all the protesters lost some something. Some people mm-hmm. lost uh, pendants. Some people lost camera parts. Other people lost bottles. I mean, tons of things that were left on one corner. Um, and I just, I photographed it. Like, that's all I could do. Like, and I was like, all right, like, this is kind of what it comes down to. This is all I can do now. <laughs> We're just both just sitting here. And it, what I find so powerful about your story is your camera to some people is like a lightsaber. It's your weapon. It's your yeah. choice of weapon. You know, you're you're beaten, you're being dragged, you're on the ground, and what do you do? You choose to fire your camera. And I love that. I mean and, Yeah, like I mean there was like nothing else to do and Exactly. And for me it was like I don't like I don't want to make it seem like oh shit, that goes like the only one like like a lot of photographers and a lot of folks that are out there protesting everyone. You know that was there. We yeah. all got our ass beat. Yeah. Mm. So like, it was only fair to like to try to like begin to create images of what what it felt like to be arrested, because then I can use that as a tool to go tell everyone like this is what happened this day. Uh yeah. Man, you are so inspirational. Yeah. I mean, that's that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, and for those who are listening, by now you're probably like, damn, I want to see his work, his work, and we have that for you if. You know, you're not driving, if, you know, you're not taking a shower or whatever, if you're just sitting at home and you're able to do this, we It would be so you, dope if you're listening in the shower, though. Like, yeah, no, yeah, Mac we appreciate and I would respect it. you so much for that. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're able to, um, we want to give you Roy's Instagram so you can see his beautiful work. His Instagram is simply at Roy Bazon on Instagram. Bazon, sorry if I... Yeah, Bazon, Bazon. <laughs> where you can see all of his work. I mean... And what I love, and we talked about this in the previous episode, but what I love about your images is you capture the good, bad, and ugly. We have children, adults smiling, and it's just, your story also talks about the metaphor of the Bronx in the sense of, and just people in general, where you get knocked down and you, what do you do? You're expected or you choose to get back up and keep fighting. Yeah, I mean, among many things that, like, that I think held us down that day was, again, the spirit of the people. Like, when we were, like, all, like, on that hill, everyone chose to sing Maria Maria for some reason. Mm. Uh, and we were singing our hearts out because, again, there's helicopters flying all over us. Everyone's peeking out their windows, and we're all singing, and we're all just, like, trying to, like, keep our spirits up. Like, <laughs> when we were, like, when we were in the cells... The, the most powerful thing that I think occurred was like every time one of us was being like sent out to get processed, everyone was banging, throwing themselves on everything, yelling at the top of their lungs, just yeah, yeah, and like yeah. the precinct would freeze, like all the police officers just stopped and they were just quiet, like, and that spirit is like just shown in every corner of the Bronx and like for people to not I mean all all corners of the city but for me it's the Bronx and for people to just try to like highlight it or say that it's just like this or that or the other it's just like you're bugged out like spend some time at the Bronx you know the I same mean, people are come talking right. that are not yeah. the ones coming to the Bronx right and like not to say like the, the Bronx is like all good and then of course there's things that happen of you know course, like but, of course but like in what community doesn't it happen you know like people like Get get fucked up, but it's like you gotta come with respect. And I think mm. more than anything, if you move with respect, if you move like right, you're all good. If you don't, then shit happens, you know, right? But I think again, what's true across the Bronx, across like the borough, is that there's mad love, there's mad resilience, there's tons and tons of heart, and that is again all too often just not talked about. And that's what, like that's for like for me like what I want to continue to highlight. And it's there, man. It's it's in your work. There's so much love there. Mm-hmm. Um, the picture uh, was that a wedding? Uh, oh yeah, he's. The, let me let me quickly bring it up for you. It looks like it looked like a quinceanera. I didn't know. You know the picture we're talking this about. This one. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that picture is incredible. That that dude. photo is is really funny. Do you do you want to 
for the for the listeners, do you want to describe what's happening or right? So this this photo uh, is in front of Saint Jerome, right off of one thirty eighth and Alexander. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so that photo was was really funny to me because um, like I was photographing up and down like uh, between Willis and like cutting over to like the bodega, like right across the street from the precinct because that's where I usually get my food from. They're open. They were open. Another place that was open twenty five eight all year round, never stop. They won't stop. They're brilliant. But I was heading over there and then like two stores before before that is a store called Santa Cruz Records. And I answered there and I'm like, oh shit, like a record shop. Like let me go in. But it's not a record shop per se. I mean they have CDs on the wall, but it's like it's it's a Mexican store that has like tons of different items. They have like cowboy boots and like Western shirts. I mean like Mexican embroidered uh like uh bolsas, they compra like, they have all kinds of things. And I'm like, yo, this place is dope. I mean, I love shops like that. I, I absolutely love them. So I, I started, I went in, like, the doña from the shop, she was like, eh, con que te ayudo, joven? She's like, what do you need? Do you need any help? And I'm like, no, nah, you know, just just looking around. And, like, out of curiosity, I'm like, yo, Santa Cruz, like, where is that? Where are you guys from? And they're like, oh, the Santa Cruz stands for Santa Cruz Huehue Piastla. Um, and that's where half of my family's from. So my family's from Ashutla in Puebla and Huehue Piastla, Puebla. They're like across the Rio Mixteco. They're like right na- they're neighbors. And so I'm like, no way, my family's from Huehue. And one thing that I love about, I guess, our culture is that like, or like I'm sure like many people can relate to is like they'll ask you like, who are your grandparents? Like, like even today, I think in the Bronx, like, like who, where, your, where are your grandparents? Yeah, where, yeah. Where's your, yeah, where's your family from? Where family live? are you in? Stuff like that. And so they had asked me. Uh, they're like, "Can who's your who's your abuelitos?" And like at that time, I had a photo of my grandparents as my as my screensaver. So I pulled up my phone. I'm like, "These are my grandparents, Lalito and Luisa." And they're like, "Oh, oh those are your grandparents." And my grandparents over there. My my grandfather he does like a lot of community work. Like he, uh, like usually hosts like a communal like party every year for like the the town saints. And he own he like has like the municipal dump for the community to keep it, try to keep it clean. So he's done a lot of community work. So everyone knows him. And she was like, oh, that's your abuelito. All right, bet. And we sort of start chatting it up. And I tell her what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm working on a book. I want to make this into a book. And I'm like, right now I'm documenting all, like, you know, like everything that happens, like the businesses, the families, you know, what have you. I want to celebrate the community uh, because I feel like the community doesn't get enough celebration or recognition in the way that I think it deserves. I think it's all too often, like, you know, highlighted in this way or that way mm-hmm. and never seen for, like, all of its beautiful self. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, word, that's really dope. And she's like, you know what? I'll tell you what. Go to St. Jerome right now. There's actually a family from Huehue Piazza right now they're, that they're having their misa for their quinceanera. And so that was a quinceanera. Usually before every quinceanera, there's like a, like a little ceremony at the church. And then once the ceremony is over, you get like the, the, the blessings from the father. And then you head over to have like the big ass party, the reventon. And so I head over there and I just pull up and I walk into the church and it's like, man, quiet. And I just like walk up the edge. <laughs> And I just pull out my camera and like the guy like looks over and they're like, who are you? And I was like, listen, this is my name. This is like what I do. And they're, and I'm actually, my family's actually from Wawa Piazla. And they're like, oh, we're, and again, the question, like, who's your grandparents? And I'm like, these are my grandparents. <laughs> and then they saw my grandparents and they also recognized my grandparents and they're like, all right, bet, you know what? Come just, just, you can photograph up until we get to the limousine. And I was like, yo, can I follow you guys to the quinceanera? They're like, it's not going to be here. It's going to be like way out there. And I'm like, well, I don't think I can do all that. I can probably photograph up until the limousine. So I was photographing inside the church as they were pulling outside the church. And then I photographed that moment right before they got into the limousine. And there's like another photo where I think there's a pack of her dress as she's entering the limousine. So that was like in a span of like 15, 20 minutes. And they, I just got the heads up because my family was from the same Pueblo. <laughs> right. And that tend to, that, t- that tended to be the case for like a couple of other businesses and like a couple of other instances where there was like other folks from Piesla and that community apparently there's a lot of folks from there and so like the photo of my grandparents it seemed to be like like an extra magical key for me to like continue to photograph mm-hmm. um and i guess that was a cool thing about like like working continue to work in my havens that like everyone knows everyone uh and like the community has a real real interesting way of like guiding you to the next thing to photograph like everyone will point you in this way or that way and this way and the community is kind of very much leading me in like how i'm photographing it it, it's it's beautiful. It's it's actually flawless in some sense. And what I find so astonishing is you have that memory and then you have the memory down at the hub. And you have these two circumstances with such weight, such gravitas. And you're like, to me, looking at your work and your journey, when you put those two together, when you put those two emotions together, looking to the future... 
<laughs> this seems kind of like a basic question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Screw it. What are you scared of? Or are you scared? Or going into 2021, what are you fearful about in any way, shape, or form? That's that's a, that's another really good question. Um, yeah, and I, and I feel like it's really broad, but you know what I mean, man. Like, I think a, a fearful life. If I were to walk down the street and see someone who would who's like fearful of living, is someone who's experienced both that hate and joy, and the culmination of and because it it makes your life you know unexpected it makes your future you know like i don't know what to expect because i've witnessed both ends of the scale right um i think right now i'm in a, in a really weird not a weird place but a very interesting place uh i think i've been like a lot more sensitive to like these these kind of like um experiences like my energy has been like very sensitive like mm-hmm. i've gotten like a lot of comments yeah. about like um like how my like my spirit has been like perceived like my aura has been perceived to be like a little diminished because of like all these things i've been like a little wore down mm-hmm. um but one of the things that i've been like i guess thinking about a lot is like like not being present enough or not photographing enough or not doing the community enough justice mm-hmm. one of the things that like uh that'll be very truthful about is like i don't have the best memory like like <laughs> I, I i keep like a lot of a lot of notes uh mm-hmm. like yeah uh and like sketches and like things to try to jog my memory because like i'm like i don't like i don't have the best memory so like one thing that i i i I hate and that i i try to really work on is trying to remember people's names and people's stories because like as i'm photographing more and more and more and trying to like piece it all together is trying to give these photos back and trying to get like a real like approval from the community um which is to say like that it's not like gonna be like no amount of work that I do is probably going to be enough. Like, I think every photographer, every artist has, like, that, like, like just one more image, just one more, like, just one more rehearsal, like, and, you know, like, yeah. just one more time to get it right. But it's, like, you, you always feel like you can do a little bit more. And I think that's that's been, like, the thing for me is, like, that I've been photographing now for, like, a couple of years. Like, I started this project in 2018 um, uh, as, like, my thesis project for ICP. Um, and... And now it's 2020 and, and I, I've, I feel like I've kind of like have these sets of images and um, I still don't know like entirely what they all mean sometimes. Like I'll like set them all out. I'll like review them and scan them over and over and over and over again. I'll, like analyze them over and over and over again. And sometimes it feels like it's like to no avail. Like just like to no real like like kind of like end. But I, I think what I'm like what, I, what I've, I'm fearful of and what I'm like also not trying to let like, like be like my main fear is that I think is like overworking an idea to the death of it because I think all too often uh at least for myself I'll overthink something to a point where I don't do it anymore and I think I've been over over overthinking it over over planning it and not being present enough so I think as I say all this the solution the the real thing is just to be more present Mm -hmm. to just spend more time and that's Mm -hmm. only going to come through like like being more self-aware, I think spending more time like thinking about all these things in a, in a productive way and being a little bit easier on myself too. Cause I think yeah. that, that, that's yeah, always a thing. Be. It's always a thing, but yeah. it's real. It's lit. Like this, this <laughs> next year, like I'm, I'm really excited because all of 2020 and like 2019, 2020, I got to live in my Haven and I got to make some amazing friends and for all of the experiences that we had, right. Uh, with the protest or, all that there was a lot more beautiful experiences that like that I didn't document per se because I wanted to be present. Like one of the things that I'm like mm. I've been really really grateful for this this last um this this last year has been the ability to to share seeds. Um, we were uh, like at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, like my partner and I, we moved in. Like there was like another crazy journey behind that that I like that I uh, I guess we can talk about afterwards if you want to know. Yeah, but, yeah, that's, um, that's a whole other so. like a whole, that's a whole <laughs> thing. But like of course, we were, yeah. Uh, we were kind of confronted with, with the question like, yo, if we had all the resources that we need, what would we do? Because we have time and we have resources. Right now, we can't afford to pay rent, so we're not going to pay rent. We have food. We're okay. There's time. What do we do with it? And uh, in a very weird, serendipitous way, we were listening to um, like Bob Dylan. And like, uh, like that lyric, uh, The Answer is Blowing in the Wind. The record yeah. scratches, stops, something Bangs outside of the window. I walk outside the window and said, like, it was all a dream. The night before, I had a, I had a horrific dream about, like, failure. And 
it all kind of came together because later that night when I was when we were like talking about it again really really weird shit like the universe is a crazy way of lining things up um, on one side of my wall there's a photo of my grandfather and my grandfather he's a farmer he's mm. been growing corn his whole life he's been in the same property in Paso Hondo in Ashutla since 1936 um, so we're coming up on, on a century soon uh, and I have like a, a hat like a, a wide brim straw hat that's meant for farming and it fell on me and the answer was was there and so the rest of that summer we we spent collecting seeds for our community garden and we got to spend it sharing seeds with members of the community Mahaven with Wanaqua Garden Wanaqua Garden with the owner of this bodega this Mexican bodega on Willis Avenue who was very generous to us and gave us corn to grow this year he gave us marigold sempasuchil to grow this year and we got to spend mad time exchanging stories, exchanging seeds, and I'm excited to go back into twenty to go into 2021 with these experiences, building connections through family lineages, through like through these traditions. Because now, mm. as much as I say I'm fearful, I'm also very, very excited and grateful for those experiences. Because now, 2021, I'm going to come through with like just a different mindset. Like now, it's not just journalism. Now it's not just documentary. Now it's Again, coming back to it as just a community member, as someone who's like dedicated to the community and wanting to share more than just uh, an image. Now I want to give something back and that seeds and like stories and, you know, all that. Because I got Boy. some, I got, <laughs> speaking of which, I got some marigold seeds for both of y'all. Wait, now, what? Yeah. So uh, I've been trying to like, I still want to like distribute seeds. So I'm like very grateful for like anyone that like invites me places. So I, I try to bring something and I have like a little like film canister filled of marigold seeds if you want to like dude so that way roy. next season you guys can grow yeah. some too my man roy listen <laughs> so i'll say this finally with every guest that we bring on the show there is something about them that intrigues us and we ask them to come and have a discussion meaning there's something about their energy and the light that they possess in them that yeah. we see now and that we see in the upcoming years for them. Yeah. But just hearing you talk in the past hour, and I know Will's going to agree with me on this, there's something so humbling and I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. Will, like, I don't even know. I, I think it's something beyond words. As as maybe corny as that sounds, it's true. Yeah, y'all um, are really flattering. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, but like it's it's true when when work like yours and people like you call to us, it's not because the picture looked good or whatever. Whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's a like you said, Malcolm. It's an it's an energy. It's a calling, um, and. I really, really deeply appreciate how wonderful of a listener you are to the universe and the, the, the calls and the frequencies. Um, that's, I mean, that's obviously why, uh, the universe brought, brought you here. Yeah. Um, and we, we connected. Uh, so I'm, we're so grateful for you, man. Yeah. And we can't wait to continue the discussion and oh, yeah. our friendship down the line. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is, only, <laughs> this is only start. Oh, uh, pl plug your shit, man. What's next for you? Uh, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, yeah. So the people have your Instagram to remind everybody. It's it's at Roy Bazon. Mm. And yeah, so you said you're teaching now. Yeah, yeah. So right now, um, <laughs> so yeah, th this year has been like really, really bittersweet. But uh, this year I became a faculty member at ICP. So I, My I man. so full circle. I, yeah, I started yeah, six yeah. years yeah. ago as a wow. Italian. Isn't at, that wild? Yeah. Uh, graduated ICP with a full scholarship. And then uh, now I'm, uh, I'm teaching in the same program where I started six years ago. I mean, I started teaching in the spring as a faculty member, but now I'm teaching teens in, in, in the fall. Uh, and so I've been just spending a lot of time like uh, like writing lesson plans beginning to think about like what I want to like share in class uh spending like lots of time thinking about my students and like the kind of work that they may want to uh work on because I think just as much like as as all the opportunities and like resources and and, and mentorship was offered to me 
I only think it's fair and, and I want them, our students, to to have those same platforms, to have these same opportunities and for their voice to be heard just as much as mine is right now. Like their voices, their agency is 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 primary to me. So like that's just this like that's where like I'm like spending a lot of my energy, but also spending a lot of my energy like thinking about next season and, and gardening. Like gardening and, and distributing food and resources to the community has been like my pri- like my other like primary uh goal right now like my partner and I they do I mean they do an amazing amazing job at like building community they are they come from a long lineage of like strong women of mm. farmers of zapatistas of communists and they're her she, like I look up to her a lot so I've been learning a lot from her and and I've been I've been spending a lot of my time like thinking about like how I can do my part in in redistributing resources like uh, like access to land, access to farming, access to like seeds, because these are our basic rights, and that's what I've been. That's what I like. That's the other thing that I'm trying to focus on, as I'm like trying to merge both photography and gardening, and being a documentary photographer and an artist, and everything in between. <laughs> so that's kind of where like I'm. I'm kind of setting my intentions forth for, right. for now. Right, oh, Roy. It's been an honor to hear your words tonight. These so episodes one, two, and three, as you know, are going to come out. On October 31st. So who knows what, because we all know what's going to happen in early November. <laughs> so regardless of what happens, though, I think your story and your background will be able to inspire a lot of people on how to enact change within their communities and to make a difference in the people that they know in the areas that they're involved in. And I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Thank, we love thank you, man. you guys. Thank yeah. you guys. Yeah, yeah. And for all the listeners, we will keep you in touch on all the great things all of our guests are doing on the show. But for tonight, for now, we want to say peace and blessings. And we'll see you for episode three. Yes. Through the Mic is hosted, written, and produced by Malcolm Callender and Will Ehrenfreund. The show is mixed, edited, and distributed by Gotham Podcast Studios. Our theme song is Through the Mic, written and produced by Ibu Carell, and our artwork was done by Reed Oka McLaren with photography from Todd Estrin. If you like the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. Know someone you'd like to hear on the show? Send us an email at themikepodcast1 at gmail.com. Again, that's themikepodcast1 at gmail.com. Let's keep the conversation going. And as always, thank you for listening.